Have you ever noticed that your daughter's mood begins to change when she's been on her phone for a while? Maybe she started out joyful and silly, and then she seems to become more sad and maybe even depressed. Her face begins to look worried. Her body language becomes withdrawn. Well, you're not imagining that. Whether it's the latest diet craze or advice on how to file down your teeth to make them straighter, the beauty advice that teens receive online can be having an impact on their self-confidence. I'm Jess Weiner, and on today's episode of Let's Change Beauty, I'm talking with Kristen Howerton, founder of the blog and now book Rage Against the Minivan, where she explores issues of identity, race, adoption, and the unfiltered realities of motherhood. Kristen and I are talking about what we as parents and educators and aunties can do to actively help our teens navigate those messages about beauty that they receive online. And Kristen knows better than anybody. She's currently raising four teens, two boys and two girls, and she's going to share very real and candid advice about how she sets boundaries at home around social media and how she's currently helping her kids to detox their feed. Let's dig in. Kristen, you are part of the OG parenting blogging space. Um, I mean, one of the most original voices online. And I feel like when when it came to parenting conversations, you are known and I think became very well known for being fairly unfiltered and direct and um, and I think challenging some of the ways that we'd been talking about parenting online, especially in the earlier days of parent blogging. And I'm just curious, I want to talk about that just for a second, your approach to that way? Is that just who you are? Is that what you believed parenting conversations needed to be? Like, I want to talk a little bit about the irreverence and the directness, because I think that's what helped people relate so much. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think that we've we've seen as, as the internet and social media has evolved. And blogging was, it was the original social media back in the day. But, you know, I, I just see a constant human tendency to present perfectionism online. It, it's easy to do, right? We can we can create a highlight reel. We can filter literally and yeah. <laughs> metaphorically. And, you know, I was just noticing that starting to happen in parenting context. You know, we've, we've got these dreamy pictures of kids doing crafts with, you know, <laughs> carefully selected color palettes. And just things were starting to seem a little bit curated. Yeah. Which is fine. That's aspirational. Um, but I just kind of felt like, you know, I don't want to add more aspiration to the mix. <laughs> Plus, it's just not me. Like, yeah. I did crafts with my kids never. So, which is fine <laughs> if that's your thing. But I just felt like, you know, I just think I if I'm going to enter this conversation about motherhood, I just want to be really honest. And I, I felt like, you know, I wanted to present the, the joys and the trials. And, yeah. you know... I wanted other people to do that as well. I wanted us to be able to have a real conversation about like, wow, this balance thing is a joke or, yeah. you know, wow, this is, this is really mind numbing, you know, doing the same thing every day. And so I just started talking very honestly and, you know, on occasion I would share just snapshots of like, this is what my living room looks like right now. And it's a hot <laughs> mess, you know? Um, and I think it resonated because people yeah. were growing a little fatigued of, of the mommy perfection image happening online. I think the transition of that pressure for perfection uh, that tends to happen online because it's a highly curated, highly visual medium still. And I think yeah. it actually 
parlays a lot into what I wanted to talk about today on Let's Change Beauty, which was, you know, how do we raise kids in an age of which that pressure for perfectionism just keeps ratcheting up and the proliferation of everything online helps to exacerbate that. But even, you know, I think when you talk about it from a parenting lens, that pressure to not share what was really going on, that pressure to hide the things Uh that make us real and make us relatable, I feel like you helped to blow the doors wide open on some of these topics. And I know you and I've talked a bit over the years as we've known each other about beauty pressures and beauty standards, and you're raising uh, two girls and two boys and, you know, wanted to kind of dive in a bit. And all of them are teens at this point, aren't they? All of them are teens. I have four teenagers. Godspeed, woman. Godspeed. So like, (laughs) I mean, so that's the stuff I wanted to kind of dig into today around beauty, because I was curious for you as a teenager growing up, how was beauty talked about in your home or what were the, the key beauty messages that you got as a younger girl? Yeah. I think like many people my age, I'm 47. I had a mom that was obsessed with diet culture, always dieting. The message that I got was that my mother was never happy with her body. Mm. It was very normalized to me to just be constantly dissatisfied with your body and constantly trying to fix it. Yeah. Um, I also grew up in the age of supermodels, right? I mean, for you know younger kids, like this is a different... We're in a different environment now. Now they're looking at Instagram influencers. But when I was a teenager, it was Cindy Crawford. It was Kate Moss. Mm -hmm. We were obsessed with supermodels. They were all over the magazines. You know, when you got a catalog in the mail, they were the ones modeling the clothing. It's been interesting to watch the shifts because I think social media for younger kids has brought a lot of new pressures around their body. But it's interesting also to see that Models have changed. Mm -hmm. I am seeing some improvements, but you look at social media and, you know, Instagram for kids is a really different story. Yeah. I grew up similar time frame as you had some of those same um, experiences. Mom, who was a chronic dieter, obsessed with magazines that sort of touted Mm -hmm. the best beach body. And we were always comparing celebrities, cellulite and roles. And so in addition to growing up with the messages at home around sort of a hyper connectivity to beauty and beauty in the eyes of others, it never really, the message for me was never as much about how to find yourself beautiful and what is beautiful about you is often matching a social or cultural ideal. Um, And I do think about the evolution of beauty as we talk about it on this show and we talk about how we want to change it. It it, it starts personally. And so I'm curious for you, having Mm -hmm. grown up in that sort of um, environment with that kind of message, did you have a consciousness around yourself when you became a parent about how you might want to parent differently around the messages of beauty in your own house? For sure. I've never, ever spoken to my kids about my body negatively, and I've never dieted in front of my kids. Now, mm. does that mean that I don't still struggle internally with all of that? I do. Yeah. You know, am I secretly doing a diet that the kids don't know about? Possibly, you know. Right. Right. Falling into that and coming out of that. But I just made a real conscious effort that that was not going to be a message I would ever, ever say to my kids. And when they talk to me about, you know, things they don't like about their body, I will just say, that is how your body is made. Yeah. Not all of us were born with flat stomachs. Not all of us will have one. And that's totally okay. And some of us were born with, you know, parts that are different than what we're being presented as the ideal and that's perfectly okay. So I've tried to present really um, differently to my kids and I've Mm -hmm. tried to really focus on that internal. Mm -hmm. I mean, you you said it, it's like, what, what makes us beautiful? Like 
really valuing integrity, kindness, creativity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, even learning, you know, relearning the compliments we give our kids, right? Yes. Relearning that I shouldn't just be focusing on like, oh, you're so pretty today. Mm-hmm. You look, you know, you look really nice today. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but making sure that the praise I'm giving is focusing on internal qualities, characteristics. And did you start early with them and having those conversations well before they were ever tween age or getting ready to be online? For sure, you know, and buying books that really take a focus on that. Um, I, I think for me, empathy has been, I mean, you know, occupational hazard. I'm a therapist, but of course I was the mom that's like, empathy is our number one goal in the house. (laughs) But the thing is when we have empathy for others, we have empathy for ourselves. And when we have empathy for ourselves, we're, we're more accepting of who we are. Mm -hmm. So as you watched your kids get to the age and, and inevitably pass that threshold where they're spending more time online, they're consuming more content. And I think What's interesting in speaking with you about this is, again, as somebody who has created content for online dialogue and conversation, I think you, and being a therapist, I think you see this from multiple angles, but as your kids begin to increase their time online, have you seen some of the toxic beauty advice that we're tracking now, the skin lightening, the teeth filing, the, you know, some of the more extreme diets or fasts or, you know, waist trainers. Like, have you seen some of that come up in your daughter's feeds or have they talked to you about that coming up in their feeds? They haven't had as much coming up in their feeds, but I'll, I'll tell you why I think that is. I curated their feeds before they got online. So because I'm a content creator, (laughs) you know, I'm very aware Mm. because I've been fed those things. I mean, how many ads for belly fat have I been served? I don't even know. I'm offended. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's the algorithm, baby. Are you spying on me? (laughs) Yes. Um, I I have been served so much of that. And so before any of my kids went on social media, I created accounts for them. Mm. I started following accounts, you know, it's it's all about that algorithm, right? Yeah. And so what can we do to get ahead of the algorithm for our kids? And so I, for each of my kids, I followed accounts that I thought were spreading positivity, whether that be racial positivity, whether, mm-hmm. you know, that be LGBTQ acceptance, and mm-hmm. then, you know, body positivity. So what's interesting is my girls, I asked them recently, like, hey, you know, are you guys feeling like social media is, you know, telling you that your body needs to look a certain way. And they're like, well, no. And then they're telling me about all these content creators they follow that talk about body positivity. And some of them I followed for them. Mm -hmm. And then some of them they found on their own. So they're showing me these accounts of like, you know, women who are talking about the filters and Mm -hmm. how you can tell when someone's been filtered and, and who are talking about like, this is what my stomach looks like before I eat. And this is what it looks like after. And both are fine. Mm -hmm. So we've been able to avoid some of that, but what they report is the thing that I think is harder for them is there's a, and I'm sure this is true everywhere, everywhere, but this is very true in Southern California. There's a very strong, um, trend. Mm -hmm. For girls to just post very sexual bathing suit photos. And that gets a lot of likes. So if you, you know, if you post a photo and this starts at age 10, 11, 12. Wow. Middle schoolers are, you know, are, are posting. And these are not pictures of like, look at me being active. Right. These are pictures, you know. Of look at um, me. For the male gaze. Right. Yeah. 
And so that's where they really struggle because it's like, oh, wow, girls are getting a lot of attention. Like, you know, maybe if I post something along this line, I could get a lot of likes or look at her body. Yeah. So there's just, there's a lot of body attention starting in middle school and going up through high school. I would say, you know, a a large percentage of the content they're seeing from peers is Mm. look at my body content. And that's hard. It's very hard. And I would imagine, especially it carries a different uh, burden to it or weight to it if it's somebody that you know from school, let's mm-hmm. say, and you're seeing mm-hmm. them in some of these poses, but potentially also filtered or altered mm-hmm. in any way. Oh, sure. It kind of really distorts the reality because you know the real thing, and yet you're watching this performance yeah. in a way. That yeah. is such a performative element that we get validated mm-hmm. for as young women. Yeah. But then when you know the person in the picture, it probably holds a lot mm-hmm. more. Yeah. And, and you know, when you see like, oh, I'm the only one not posting photos like this. Yes. And the pressure then to do that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's interesting. Absolutely. And so when you when you all talk about this, because I think you're right, I think if you curated their feed before they got online and then we know the algorithm rewards us for the things that we watch and we get more of that sent our way, I think that's important for yeah. parents listening to understand how that works, that, you know, you end up getting, if you go down the rabbit hole on some sort of like diet hack video, odds are you're going to get 10x that amount of content coming in your feed. So girls who might stumble upon somebody talking about their latest surgery or tweakment or hack for whatever, they're going to get more of that. But it's interesting that in some ways you've hacked the algorithm for them and with them by choosing more positive content to follow. And then you get kind of, again, rewarded for that. I'm curious with your sons versus your daughters, if you see some of that kind of negative beauty advice happening for boys and and young men as well. You know, it's interesting because my boys are both athletes And so they have actually gotten a lot more content around bodybuilding, losing Mm. weight, you know, performance, which, you know, is often just diet culture in disguise, disguising as athleticism. So they do get a lot of that content, Um, protein powders, you know, beef up, lose weight, uh, take this for energy. They get a lot of that. How does that impact their self-esteem or confidence at all? Does it, does it impact them in any way? It does. I mean, both of my boys have have struggled with like feeling like I don't like the way my body looks right now. Yeah. I would say as much as my girls. See, I think that's an important layer for us to add into this conversation. And I love that you said it's diet culture disguised because I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of the messages we send to boys about uh, appearance also get tied up in masculinity and get some of these really yeah. uh, torturous messages um, and toxic messages about what it means to be a man and what it means to look like one. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's really important. And so do you have the same level of conversation with your sons as you do your daughters about different ways to handle that emotionally or different ways to change some of the folks that they're following? I'm curious, like the aptitude for that conversation in your household. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same conversations, you know, it it is, it's, it's, I mean, first of all, I tell my kids all the time, if you follow someone, I don't care who it is or what their content is, but if you follow someone where when you see their content, it makes you feel icky, unfollow. Mm unfollow or mute. They don't have to even know. I mean, I have people that I used to be in relationship with that I just, when I see a post of theirs, it just kind of gives me a tickle of like, oh, I, I feel a little sad. Mm-hmm. Mute, you know? Yes. Um, and so I really, I heavily encourage my kids. If if you follow a person and you want to be better friends with them and you feel FOMO every time you see it, mute it. 
Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to just keep putting yourself into the line of fire. Right. We have a lot of conversations about the research that shows that Instagram is not great for kids' self-esteem. Yeah. And so I'm constantly saying, if you find that to be true, unfollow, mm-hmm. reduce your time. I'll say this too. I'm very strict on time limits. My mm. kids have 30 minutes on Instagram a day. That's it. I think that that's all they need. Wow. You know, if we have research that we know this is not great for kids' self-esteem, you don't need more than that. Have you ever noticed in the past before potentially you had those time limits that their moods change dramatically by spending more time online or they'd get off from a scroll session and you can feel or sense their their mood change? A hundred percent. And my kids even notice it. They notice it because we'll, we'll have periods where I'll take the controls off. Um, early in COVID, you mm-hmm. know, I took the controls off if we're on vacation mm-hmm. and they will, they will say like, I don't feel great. This doesn't feel great. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then they're, I mean, it's nice that they're old enough to kind of understand why I have these rules. Not that they always love them. Sure. They will complain heavily also, but you know, they'll also be around friends and everyone is in a corner scrolling through Instagram. They're not even talking to each other. Yeah. You know, and my kids will say, like, I don't like this feeling either. It's isolating. I love that mindfulness um, uh, as well for them to identify the emotion. I also think it's important for us to talk to our kids about how your body physically feels, whether you feel really anxious or your heart speeds up. I was Mm -hmm. saying to somebody the other day, when I'm affected by what I'm looking at online, I notice I hold my breath. I'll notice that like I'm not mm-hmm. breathing if I'm because I can it's almost as if my body and my brain are just going into that either FOMO or compare and yeah. despair or, you know, so I think the yes. more we can integrate how our bodies physiologically react as well is a really great marker to know if we're in danger. I completely agree. And another thing that has helped me a lot with my kids is that I'm very honest with them about my own struggles with social media. Mm. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not immune to any of it. I get into doom scrolling. I get into compare and despair, mm-hmm. 100%. I get into FOMO. I get into, you know, I get into just wasting time being mm-hmm. not mindful. Um, and so I'm very open with my own kids about how it, like, I don't want them to feel like this is a discipline, like a parent, a parental discipline issue, because it's a personal discipline issue. Yeah. You know, it's, it's true for all of us. And that you know, when they turn 18, this isn't going to magically like, okay, now you can just like have at it and it's all great. Like I want them to know like this will be a lifelong journey. Yes. Especially as look at, we've just talked about you starting uh, in the online space in 2006. It's 2022 at this point that we're talking. The way that we consume content has changed dramatically. Who knows what that looks like in the next 10 or 15 years. And I agree with you. I'm looking at this conversation more as an attempt at self-care, self-regulation, and some real techniques Mm -hmm. and tools to stay grounded in self-confidence because I think a lot of this is about how we navigate and how we teach our kids to navigate. I love that you're honest with them because it does affect adults. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that I started muting people, Kristen, and I was like, why did it take me this long to just turn off if I didn't feel like I could unfollow them for whatever my story was, you know, if I'm afraid they're going to find out or they're going to see. But then I would mute and then I would notice I didn't miss seeing their content. And all of a sudden I did feel better. Mm -hmm. And then that's a great indication Mm -hmm. that that's not adding value to your time on social. Yeah. Muting is is an act of self-care. Agreed. Well, you know, it's interesting you talk about the dynamic of the dialogue at home with the kids and their own awareness of it, because some of the research out from our Dove Self-Esteem Project talks about 80% of girls wanting to have this conversation with their parents uh, Mm -hmm. about how to navigate 
online beauty advice. And what I loved about that permission, I guess, in the bigness of that number is I think it's a doorway for us to help parents, educators, mentors walk through, which is there's a desire to have it. They may not know how to do it. Or, you know, a lot of times parents are on the same platforms their kids are on. But to your point earlier, they're getting served different content. Their algorithm is set up differently. Yes. So I'm curious what you would say to a parent who maybe hasn't had the level of conversation you've had, wants to, and is maybe anticipating a whole bunch of eye rolls coming their way or a whole bunch of shutdown happening. Like what would be a good approach or like a tip or tool that they could use to really open the door to this convo? I mean, this is a controversial take, but I'm just of the opinion that like privacy online is for grownups. We really need to be looking at what our kids are looking at. Mm. They just developmentally, they do not have the skills, the cognition, the self-control to handle what we're handing them Mm. in a pocket-sized version of, like, the whole world. And we would never, you know, put a 10-year-old in Times Square and be like, have fun, fend for yourself. Right. Right. But we're handing them a phone with access to the whole world. I mean, I don't like to be a fear monger about it. My kids are on social. I'm not about to take it all away. Right. But we do have to be mindful that we we are giving them something that is exposing them to real life people. I think parents should have a pulse on what their kids are doing and Mm -hmm. who they're following. I think Mm -hmm. parents should log in as their kids, ask to either look at their phones or figure out how to do it. And every parent should look at their kid's algorithm, meaning go to their discovery page if they're on Instagram. Mm -hmm. What's being served to them? That will tell you a lot about what your kid is looking at and what they might be struggling with. Mm. So if they're being served a lot of diet culture content, if they're Mm -hmm. being served a lot of sexual content, if they're being served, like it's very, very informative. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is a good place to start a conversation. Like, hey, I'm noticing you're getting a lot of this content. What does that feel like for you? And you can do it non-judgmentally. You can open the door to say like, how is this feeling for you? Yes. You know, I also think that just like the sex convo, this is a conversation that needs to happen over and over and over again. Like set a timer once a month to talk about your kid's social media. It's not a one and done, that is for sure. And I think the fear that a lot of parents might have of like, because they, and let's say you're a parent who isn't on social or doesn't understand those platforms. I think the prep, you know, we created a bunch of materials to help parents navigate this conversation together for Dove. And I think one of the things that, Uh, you know, kind of the outline of it, which is everything you just talked about, which is like prep, which is like prep yourself, Mm -hmm. go into their feeds, look at what they're looking at, understand the platforms, chat about it often, and then help them Mm -hmm. detox, like make some of those decisions, right? So if your kid says, Mm -hmm. you know what, you know, yeah, I I am getting served a lot of diet ads. And I I do find that it makes me feel depressed or sad afterwards. Then Mm -hmm. what can we do about it? And then the biggest thing is repeat it, which is what you just said. It's like, Mm -hmm. do it again and again. I think it's much like the the muscle of self-care. You know, we don't just take care of ourselves once one day and then it lasts for, you know, all of time. It's a, it's a repetitive act. Um, And look, there's a lot going on in the world. I know that uh, I don't want to be a fear monger either with parents. I think there's so much y'all are worrying about and, and having to navigate through. But uh, I do think the transparency you've shared and the proactivity you've shared are two big takeaways I would I would echo as well. Social media is an aspect of parenting now. It just is, just like anything else. Like I think, you know, managing their tech, managing their access 
it is a part of parenting. And a a lot of us didn't sign up for that. I mean, I didn't know this would be a factor (laughs) when I had kids, you know, my oldest is 17. But um, I I do think that it, it is something we have to help them manage. Yeah. In this new world of engagement online and and the proliferation of content that we get is changing the way you put out content online. Have you noticed yourself as a creator and community conversationalist shifting uh, the the way that you think about the work that you put out there as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that I've I've always been shifting, but I talked at the beginning about like how this human trend towards presenting perfectionism just it continues. And it keeps recycling itself. And when Mm. I first started online, it was this sort of perfectionism in mommyhood, right? And and these dreamscapes of home life. Mm -hmm. And now it's a little more about beauty. Honestly, I think I've seen that shift of just, it's about like, you know, women posting a lot of selfies of themselves. And you'll notice like a content creator has a book coming out and suddenly the like professionally taken photos of themselves in various poses and places Mm. starts to proliferate. And so, you know, I have tried really hard to just avoid that. You know, I want to just show like normal snapshots of life as taken by my hand in a selfie or, (laughs) you know, on my phone. Um, But, but I will say there is a lot of pressure on content creators to push towards that filtered, curated image. Yeah. There really is. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, content creators are also content consumers. And you said this earlier in our conversation, you're also impacted by what you see. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you to end maybe on a personal note for yourself as a parent juggling four teenagers and all of the various conversations that you are having in this time, in this space, in our culture around a variety of issues. Um, How do you take care of your connection to your beauty, your self-confidence, your self-esteem? Is there something in your earned and learned wisdom that you've come up with that helps you stay balanced while you're trying to balance it with your kids? I mean, I think for one, for me, it's just that constant um, reminding myself that life is not lived online. That's Mm. really big for me, you know, that it's a distraction, and sometimes it's a it's a neutral distraction, it's a healthy distraction, but it's a distraction. And life is lived in real moments, in face-to-face encounters, in being outside. Um, for me, the biggest self-care that I can give myself is being out in nature. Mm. It's getting my toes in the sand, it's getting wind in my hair, it's being outside and away from a screen, away yeah. from this constant pull to keep scrolling. I, I just think that that is... It's important. And I and it's also difficult. I, I want to acknowledge that it is difficult for me. It yeah. is easy for me to sit and scroll. <laughs> um, that will be a, a constant struggle for me. Um, and so for me to push myself to get out into the real world, to have face-to-face with friends, to go to the beach or take a hike, that is really where it's at for me. Yeah. It's really about making those core memories, those lasting memories in real yeah. in real life. And I think it's an interesting balance as I've talked to parents about this issue. You know, what comes up a lot is often many of us were not raised as digital natives with this surround sound mm-hmm. of, of images and opportunities to get connected, as you mm-hmm. said, to the whole wide world. And the other part is like the toothpaste is out of the tube. This is our kids' lives. Yes. This is how they connect. This is, is a formative part of how they make friendships as well. There are real communities mm-hmm. of representation online that have saved kids' lives. You know, I think there's so much Mm -hmm. positive as well. What would be your piece of advice for somebody listening 
to make their experience. We talked about how to balance, right, the temperament of all the online scrolling with being connected to the outside world. Knowing that this is a way that our kids are engaged in community, what would be kind of a a piece of advice for how to make your online experience more positive? I think that the idea of abstinence is unrealistic. And, you know, telling your kids you just won't have social media, um, I understand that temptation, but I think that that is a road that is going to lead to lack of self-control when they become adults. Mm. So my whole philosophy is I'm sprinkling this to them so that they can learn how to use it while living a balanced life so that it's not just like feast or famine. Yes. And so I think one of the ways that you can make it positive is find those positive pieces. I mean, I really enjoy TikTok. I really do. Yeah. And so I send my kids TikToks and mm-hmm. and sometimes they're about, you know, funny dynamics between older siblings and younger siblings or mm-hmm. you know something funny about that parents do. Or sometimes it's about race or it's mm-hmm. about trans rights and, mm-hmm. and it's something that I saw that I find meaningful and I'll share with them. So I try to create positive experiences for us around social media too. Like what are we finding that we like? And yeah. they'll send me memes as well. So it's kind of about joining them where they are. Like, I know that they're living in these spaces. And instead of being like clutching my pearls about it, like, how can I join in on the positive aspects and encourage that? Because like you said, there are like kinship communities online that are saving lives. Yes. I might, I'm proud of my kids for this, but like their algorithms look like social justice. Hmm. You know, they're getting served a ton of content that's teaching them about fighting for human rights. So there is value there, but it's also, there's also a lot of danger. And so I think finding the value and pushing and joining in those places is really good. I love that. I also love that what you just described was like another way that parents can communicate with their kids is through the language Mm of memes and shares and, you know, like not to underestimate that as well. If you're on those same platforms, there's another way to experience it together. It doesn't have to be such a separate or isolated Mm -hmm. experience. Thank you so much for having this convo. I just, I I admire yeah. absorbing your content. You're one of my positive people that I follow online and was really excited to have you share in this conversation with us today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Let's Change Beauty, a podcast powered by the Dove Self-Esteem Project. You can go to dove.com slash let's change beauty to watch Dove's new film called Toxic Influence and learn how to help a young person in your life to detox their social media feed. On our next episode of Let's Change Beauty, we're talking with Kayla Greaves, executive beauty editor at InStyle, about the power we all have through digital media to rewrite our own beauty stories. Thanks so much for being here with me. And don't forget to write a review wherever you're listening. It really helps us out.